Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today I'm going to be telling you guys about the disappearance of Brianna Madeline. So grab yourself some coffee and let's dive in. Brianna Matlin was born in Burlington, Vermont on October 8, 1986 to parents Bruce and Kelly Matlin. She was the youngest of two children and was growing up on a farm in East Franklin, which is actually pretty close to the Canadian border, I learned. She also went by Brie or B. so from now on I'm going to call her Brie for the rest of the episode. Her friends and family described her as well-liked and someone who was a joy to be around. She was known to be really trusting of other people, and she loved reading and had also taken multiple years of jujitsu. In October of 2003, around her 17th birthday, Brie told her parents that she wanted to move out and to move closer to her friends who lived about 15 miles away and attended a different high school. So her parents agreed and let Brie transfer to the new school and leave home. So where did she move to? Well, that's the thing. She didn't have a place to call home. She kind of just stayed at her friend's houses and like, as you would say, bebop around. <laughs> and so depending on the night, she was just at a different friend's house. That's exactly what I would have said. <laughs> I know. Bebop. <laughs> that's funny. Her parents weren't really happy about the decision that she had made, but they were like kind of just going with the flow, I guess, letting her make her own choices, which... I get to a point, but she's only 17, and to me, that just seems so young. I agree that it does seem, and I'm I'm assuming she had to, like, have an address within a certain area to go to this school, but 15 miles is nothing. My senior year, I drove more than that to get to school. Well, that's the thing, and and so this was 2003, which I know they were a lot more strict about the whole, like, Mm -hmm. where you live determines where you go to school, and now they don't care, but it's 15 miles i was like that's like 15 minutes if you're if you're barely driving yeah that's interesting and like i feel like for if it was my kid i would have just been like we'll just say you live at this address and you can just drive it which i get that's just not how everything works but well and the thing is she didn't have a place to call home so what address would she have been using anyways right that's true probably one of our friends that she was staying with like would i would guess it's an interesting, yeah. just an interesting event situation. Yes. Honestly, it didn't really matter, though, because February of 2004, she drops out of school. Oh, okay. She decides she's done. So, I mean, it was October to February, and that was it. She did decide, though, that she would just take classes to get her GED, which this doesn't need to go in there. But, like, she was so close to being done. Why didn't she just finish? Brie eventually found a friend that she was going to stay with more permanently, and it was a friend that she'd been friends with since childhood. She'd known for many years, and her name was Jillian Stout. So together, they were living in Sheldon, Vermont, which was about 37 miles from Burlington, or about where she was living before with her family. On the morning of March 19th, 2004, she went and took and then passed her GED examination, which meant that she could start attending college part-time. 
In order to celebrate the fact that she had received her GED and everything, her and her mom went to lunch together and then decided that they'd spend the afternoon shopping. Her mother, Kelly, said that Brie was in a really good mood. They spent a lot of time discussing college plans and laughing and just kind of having fun. Kelly did say, though, that she noticed kind of a shift in Brie's mood as they were out shopping. Apparently, while they were waiting in line to check out at a store, something or someone caught her daughter's attention and she went outside and just told her mom that she'd meet her in the parking lot. And Kelly goes out to the parking lot and sees Brie out there. But Brie was like noticeably shaken, her mom said. Like something was definitely wrong. But Kelly didn't want to pry, so she didn't ask her what was going on. She just was like, let's move on with the day. And eventually dropped Brie back at her house around 3.30 or 4. That makes me wonder if there's some reason or connection of her not wanting to be at her school or going to school and seeing maybe somebody out that is like jarring to her. Like maybe she had someone like stalking her or making her feel uncomfortable or something else happened. Yeah, I'm not sure where they went shopping because I don't know if it was the town that she was living in near the high school or if it was a different place. It was also prior to three o'clock in the afternoon. So in theory, if it was somebody from her school that was bothering her, they would still be at school. Well, what month was this? March. Yeah, they could have followed her or skipped school or who knows. Or it could just be, I mean, it's obviously some, maybe she saw someone. You don't just like have that moment unless something significant happened. Yeah. The only thing I could think of if it wasn't someone or something, if it was just like internally she was struggling with some stuff and it just randomly hit her Mm -hmm. and she decided to go outside. Because I mean, I've gone shopping before. I like I've gone out with people before and just like randomly something will creep into my mind because my mind is a fun place and I'll just kind of feel a little down for a little bit and I'll like kind of just walk off on my own guy. So I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of too is if it wasn't specifically a person, if it was just something inside of her that she decided she needed to go outside for a little bit. I'm going to get us some buttons that say my mind is a fun place. <laughs> Take it as you yeah. will. <laughs> that's a, It's a good way to describe it though. Cause that could be anyway. Yeah. However you want to think of it. The two finished shopping and Kelly ended up dropping off Brie around 3.30 or 4 at her place because Brie actually had to work that evening. Where was Brie working? So she actually had two jobs at the time. She was a dishwasher at the Black Lantern Inn and she was a waitress at KJ's Diner. So that evening she was working at the Black Lantern Inn in Montgomery, Vermont. Before she left for her shift, though, Brie left Jillian a note to say that she'd be home that evening after work. And Brie wasn't aware, though, that Jillian had decided that she was going to go stay with her family for the weekend, which reminds me of other episodes we've covered. I think it was one of your recent ones where the roommates didn't like say anything or notice that he was missing for like multiple days. And we kind of discussed the fact that you don't always know where your roommate is. Yeah, it definitely comes up a lot. And You always think, well, wouldn't you know? But like we've said in past episodes, it just really depends on the people and the dynamic that these roommates have. So Jillian did not see the note that Brie had left, obviously, because she wasn't home for the weekend. That night at work, her coworkers had asked Brie if she wanted to go out for dinner. But she said that she was going to pass because she was really tired and she had to work her other job at the diner in the morning. And she didn't want to be out late because she had to be up early. 
Bree left her job around 1120 that night and her co-workers watched her get into the car and leave and that was pretty much it. Everything seemed normal. The day after on March 20th, a state trooper was dispatched to an abandoned barn that was referred to as the Dutchborn House which was in Richford, Vermont. So apparently a lot of people knew about this barn. When he got there, he found a pale green four-door 1985 Oldsmobile Delta sedan, which is a vehicle, just a very fancy, <laughs> a very long vehicle. <laughs> yeah, that, but it was a vehicle and it was backed into the side of the barn. When you say backed into the barn, like it had hit the barn or was backed into the barn like you would pull into a garage it was backed into the side of the barn so it was not in in the barn it was like the wall okay so the bumper had damage to it Mm. and the barn also had damage to it gotcha 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 the officer said that it wasn't any indication that the car had come off the road uncontrollably like an accident or anything But inside the car, he found two uncashed paychecks on the front seat. He also found some random things in and around the car, including loose change, a water bottle, and an unsmoked cigarette. And he pretty much just assumes that it had been abandoned by a drunk driver, so he has it towed. Now, the paychecks that are on the front seat obviously have a name on them, and that name is for Brie. Quick question. Did Brie smoke cigarettes? I did not find that anywhere. Okay. I was just wondering. Because I wondered the same thing. Yeah. If she doesn't and there's cigarettes there, a little sketch. Yeah. I had tried to find the same thing to see if she did smoke cigarettes because I was like, that would explain that one. But I don't know. But he still wasn't sure whose vehicle it was because the paychecks were in there. So he checks the registration. He runs it. It goes back to a Kelly Matlin, which is Bree's mom. But the state trooper doesn't contact kelly to tell her that the car had been found or that it was being towed he just tows it and tells no one this seems like maybe not protocol not that i know the protocol it just doesn't seem right right so this is march 20th keep that in mind like early march 20th right mm-hmm. on march 23rd is when jillian returns home from visiting her family and she sees the note from Bree and she's like this is weird like it doesn't it's obvious that Bree's not been home recently so Jillian calls Bree's parents to see if she was like staying with them or something but Kelly and Bruce were both like um no she's not she's not been here at all and so they start calling her friends and her co-workers to see if anybody's seen or heard from anything from Bree but they learned that the last known sighting of her was from her co-workers when she left her shift at the inn on March 19th. So it was March 23rd before she's reported missing. When she reports her missing is when she finds out about the car that had been towed. Ugh. This is three days after the officer had found it and four days after it was most likely wrecked. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. 
Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. That's so bad for a missing persons case. I'm like, are you... If you would have told the family, like, how can you... I really hope the officer probably, like, lost his job or something. Because I just feel like it was so detrimental to this case, like, being able to determine or being able to just discuss the fact that this car had been found. And instead, it was almost four days later. On March 25th is when Bruce and Kelly give photos to the police of Bree, and they really start working together to try to find her. Obviously, she is 17. So, Abby, I'm going to ask you, what were the police's initial thoughts for a 17-year-old that's missing? Hmm, I'm guessing they thought maybe she just ran away. Yes, obviously. (laughs) 17-year-olds can't be kidnapped. They always run away. They always park their car into the back of a barn, leave their paychecks in there, and take off on foot. Yes, I hope you guys are catching our sarcasm. Because this is ridiculous and something that really needs to change because this is immediately police's response always is we don't need to look into it as much because they're a runaway. Which is insane because you would think because they're minors, you would be more concerned. You would think. I've learned, though, to never think logically when somebody's investigating a case because i just feel like logic goes out the window so frequently never think logically oh that's good okay sometimes it's honestly almost as bad as watching a horror movie and being like he's chasing you there's the front door that you just ran past but no let's run upstairs they always go upstairs and then like somehow the window's locked and they can't get out of it exactly i i will never understand the logic of some people and it's definitely frustrating i do want to give just a tiny bit of credit to this police department and situation for the investigation because i know i just spent like a couple minutes kind of talking about how a lot of times we see it so terribly but in this one they did do better they did initiate a search i mean we still had that four ish day gap in between but they eventually were searching for Bree. Well, and with hers, I feel like you have to search because you found her car out kind of in a weird location. Like, you have to search that area. That's my thought, is it's important to probably search. I, I don't know where she would have gone. In, I mean, unless somebody picked her up. But then you're it, there's just so many things where you're like, what happened? But they basically were just like, there was no signs of struggle at the car. So we don't think that anything bad could have happened so the search that they decided to do there were obviously police officers there were search dogs they were searching the barn they were searching around the barn in the fields near the barn all over the place they did find the some medication that brie had left she had migraines and so she was taking medication for it that had been left in the car which side note migraines are terrible You were going to want those meds. If you're going to run away, you're going to take those meds with you, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Speaking from experience, because I've had migraines before, uh, if it's bad enough that I have medicine for it, there's no way I'm leaving that behind. Yeah, no, absolutely not leaving that behind. 
There was also contact lenses, clothing, makeup, and her driver's license. So police were kind of like, well, she probably, she either like planned to come back to the car or she didn't leave on her own. Just took them multiple days before they were able to think that something bad had happened to her. They did find a woman's fleece jacket in the field near near where her car was found. They did determine that it wasn't Breeze, but I mentioned that because I still think it's kind of important because, I mean, it's just a jacket. Anybody could have been wearing it. Well, and how do you know that it's not hers unless it's just like a wildly different size? Like, I don't show everything I purchase to everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, did, I don't know if it was just something where everybody's like, I've never seen her wear that before. And like her roommate might have been like, oh, I've never seen that in her closet or yeah, something like that. On March 30th, 2004, so 10 days after it was found, her vehicle was processed by the state crime lab. They still didn't see any signs of struggle, but they did find DNA that did not match Brie. In what form? Do you know? Because that could tell a whole different type of story depending on what the dna is found in is it hair is it blood is it semen because those are all very different to this day which this was 2004 to this day they have not announced or released what kind of dna was found huh but whatever dna was found told the police that she did not leave on her own there's at least somebody else involved yeah, think of that however however you want, whether that was blood or, like you said, semen, anything like that. There were multiple witnesses that came forward and said that they had seen Bree's vehicle the night she went missing. One of them said that they had drove by the barn between 1130 and 1230, and he'd seen headlights over by the barn, but he didn't see anybody in or around the car. Another witness said that they saw a turn signal flashing when they drove past around midnight or 1230. Her former boyfriend had been returning from a party across the border from Canada, and he saw the car around 4 a.m., but he said that he didn't see anybody near the car. So what I'm gathering is that this is a fairly high-trafficked area, at least, this barn location. It sounds like a lot of people drove past this barn, yeah. There were a group of motorists that had seen it the next morning, and they thought it was strange enough that they actually stopped and took pictures, because they were like, this is suspicious. I don't know if they're the ones that called it in because I couldn't find that anywhere. Mm. But I almost wonder. Yeah, it, they, it would make sense. It would. They took pictures of loose change, either a bracelet or a necklace, and then a water bottle that they had seen near the car. Over the years, there's been many searches that have been done to try to find Brie. They have dived into the pond nearby. They've searched the wooded areas with cadaver dogs. They've used a helicopter to search the surrounding areas. They've had officers from three different states trying to find Brie, and there's just been no luck. Her friends and family had gone around and they put up a bunch of missing persons flyers all across Vermont and the surrounding states. They also have hired a private investigator to try to help with the case as well. There have been a couple different people that have called in different possible sightings of her, which I'm actually going to go through a couple because some of them haven't been disproven to be her. On February 17th, 2006, there was an alleged sighting of her at the Caesars World Casino in Atlantic City. There's surveillance footage that shows a woman on the camera that highly resembles Brie, and she's sitting at a poker table with a bald man. To this day, the woman that was there has never been identified, 
but Bree's parents highly believe that this was possibly Bree because it looked so similar to her. Another thing that they kind of look into and kind of keep in mind when looking into Bree's case, in May of 2004, Kelly and Bruce decide to meet up with the parents of Maura Murray, who we covered just two weeks ago. She had gone missing in Haverhill, New Hampshire in February of 2004. So around the time of Bree's disappearance, there was also a girl named Amy Riley, who we have not covered, who was a 20-year-old who had been murdered in New Hampshire around this time as well. And there's a possibility that these three cases are connected. I couldn't find anywhere that it's been ruled out. It was all similar areas and similar circumstances. I mean, if you listen to our Maura Murray episode, she's in a vehicle and then all of a sudden her car's abandoned and she's not in the vehicle anymore. Yeah, that's interesting with the Maura Murray one because I think it would mean that like there's someone following these girls and maybe doing something with their cars that's causing them to kind of wreck or lose control and waiting for them to get out of their car and then abducting them so it's not looking like a struggle. Because both the girls had were in like minor accidents, really. Yeah, and so I did see that there was something done with the car when they investigated it. I, I'll be honest, I'm not exactly sure what it means, but I will read to you guys the description of what is said to have like occurred to her car. So the investigation of the car, they showed that the rear wheels had been raised, which made the car, they used the word disabled. And so the car would be unlocked. I don't know what that meant. What? (laughs) Okay, I will read the exact sentence that is on here. A closer examination would show the rear wheels had been raised, causing the car to become disabled and the car itself would be unlocked despite the keys being missing. That's why I put it on here. I was like, I don't know what this is saying, but they're saying that this is weird for the car. Like it somehow, so it says it caused the car to become disabled. Okay, so that means that it made the car stop working, right? That's how I take it. So if you want to go with what, like what you just said, the reason you said Mm -hmm. that, so I was like, I should say this, but I don't know exactly what it means. And I didn't even know how to begin to, look that up to figure out what that means yeah if any of you guys get that sentence please let us know i I can follow it until the car being unlocked because of the wheel Uh, yeah i don't wait no because they said like the rear guys this is us thinking this through it says despite the keys being missing so one of two things come to mind one and i think this one's maybe a little bit more far-fetched were the wheels raised somehow and it caused the car, if it was like front wheel drive, did it cause the back wheels to start messing up somehow? I don't know if that's how cars work. I don't know cars, guys. But the other thought that I had is somehow if the wheels were raised up, did it disable the like security system and the locks in the car, unlocking the car. And so somebody was able to get into the car without having the keys because it says despite the keys being missing. In the first part about the wheels, it says the rear ones. Yeah, the rear wheels were raised. Yeah, I don't know. Because, like, I can get that. Maybe they did something that raised the wheels and it would mess up with the drive, like you said. But the unlocked part, what does that have to do with the wheels? In October of 2007, there was another search done of a wooded area in Montgomery. 
and they did find a pair of weathered blue jeans. This was approximately seven miles from where Bree had gone missing, and they had never searched this area before. They sent them to the state forensics lab to be analyzed, but the results of the tests have never been released. They've kept a lot of this investigation kind of under wraps. Which makes me think that they are connected somehow. It makes you think that they know something. They have an idea. One thing that I was going to say, and the only reason I'm saying it is because I want to talk about how horrible it is. Bree's family has received multiple anonymous phone calls from people claiming that Bree had been tied to a tree in the woods and like tortured and that her body was disposed of at the bottom of a lake. And their prank calls or? Nothing has ever been able to like... It's never come about of anything. Then, like I said, they've investigated the nearby lakes. I don't know if it's the same person that's just repeatedly calling Mm -hmm. for, like, fun. Quote, unquote, fun. Guys, not actual fun. Or, like, some sicko. Or, like, if this is actually something that maybe occurred. I have no idea. I was going to say. I mean, if they... It sounds like they don't know the source of the phone calls. But if it's multiple people with the same story, it makes you wonder. In 2008, they eventually came up with a team that was solely dedicated to trying to solve Bree's case. So they were kind of taking a more aggressive approach. They were conducting a lot more interviews. They had a lot more time to put into this case specifically. A lot of the people that they actually interviewed were people they had already talked to, but they just really wanted to cover their basis. There was another search done in 2010. Nothing new was found there. In September of 2020, the Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit teamed up with Othram, Inc. to re-examine the evidence that had been found at the scene of the accident. So, Othram is apparently an organization that is known for DNA testing. Obviously, that was September of 2020. It hasn't been very long. There's a good chance they're still investigating it. The police obviously haven't released much information in regards to other cases either. So it's highly possible that even if they do have results, they're once again just not releasing them to the public. It's just showing that they're still like actively really looking into her case. So a couple different theories that I saw or came across for what could have happened to Brie. The authorities highly believe that it was possibly drug related. So apparently drugs are extremely prominent in the area that she was in. Some of her friends said that she had experimented with some hard drugs specifically cocaine and so some people were like well maybe she owed some money and so she was killed over that police haven't been able to find anything that says that this is for sure what happened and her parents don't believe that that was what happened they're like she might have done some drugs and stuff but i don't really think that she did drugs seriously enough to you know have a big drug debt is what her parents said However, we know for a fact parents don't always know what their children are doing. Husbands and wives don't always know what their significant others are doing in there right next to each other most of the time. So they did find out that she had a lot of friends with drug users and drug dealers. So she was definitely in that realm. In the week that was right after her disappearance, police had received a tip saying that Bree was being held in a house in Berkshire that was known to be occupied by drug dealers that she was kind of friends with they had given some different names on april 15th of 2004 though the house was raided by police and they had found cocaine weed other paraphernalia but there was no trace of brie at the time 
in late 2004, they received another tip. This one was from an anonymous female. And this person was also connecting the two guys that I talked about before from the drug house. She was also connecting them to Bree's murder. They, She said that they had killed Bree the week after she had disappeared. After the one guy and her had argued over money that she had lent him to purchase cocaine. Then apparently after she had been killed... This lady said that Bree's body had been stored in the basement of another woman's home temporarily. And then they ended up dismembering her with a table saw and disposing of her at a pig farm. It's always a pig farm. (laughs) It is. That's just what people always go to. Police have not been able to validate this statement or necessarily. I don't think they've been able to take it off the table either. But yeah, I would say it sounds like there's enough question about it being drug related or, you know, with criminals who are in the drug rings that it would be hard to just completely discount any of that. Absolutely. Another theory is that she left on her own, which once again, we always talk about that one. According to people that knew her, like her friends and coworkers, she had apparently mentioned that she was planning to take a short trip from the area. She also supposedly had a history of running away. I don't know how much this history like was or if they were just kind of referring to the fact that she moved out at 17 and her parents weren't super happy about it. Another theory is that she was abducted by multiple people. Her parents put the most stock into this theory because, as I had mentioned before, Brie had multiple years of jiu-jitsu training. And for one person to be able to subdue her, they just don't really believe that that's possible. They think that somebody might have seen her and started stalking her and then somebody had hid in her back seat and attacked her, causing the car to come off the road. And then maybe there were other people there that assisted in the abduction. I can understand that. But I think I I think you also have to put a lot of stock into if somebody's holding a gun to you, they have quite a bit of power over you. Absolutely. Even if you physically could take them out, that's a risky move to make. I I completely agree i don't doubt that it's possible for one person to subdue her but i think it would have to be under the right circumstances which is the same as every case as i mentioned before a popular theory is that she's related to the maura murray disappearance i know i'd briefly talked about it before but they're only 90 miles away from each other and fbi have been brought into this because if it is connected, they have crossed state lines. So FBI is involved. They're looking into this. There's a couple different things that kind of link the two cases. So as we talked about, they both went missing after a car accident. They both left belongings in their car. They were both young, attractive, brown-haired women. So it all kind of fits like one type. This theory still to this day hasn't been ruled out. So it's possible that we could find that this is later on connected. There was another theory that I came across that... So there was one site that I went to that listed quite a few theories. This one I'm only talking about because I just thought it was super interesting that I came across this case and then saw this. They thought that it was possible that she was a victim of serial killer Israel Keys, which I was like, that's weird because, I mean, we've looked into that one many times. As soon as you started to like describe what you were going to say, I was like, oh, it's going to be an Israel Keys one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. So there was some different things that connected them, but they ended up they were able to rule it out because his financial records showed that he was somewhere else the day that she went missing. But I just thought it was really interesting that for a little while they're like, ah, oh, did Israel do this? Which is a whole other thing. 
because we still don't know who all of Israel's victims are. We just know that there's more. So I think a lot of these cases that we cover, there's always like that slight possibility. So Kelly and Bruce, her parents, did end up splitting up at some point. The fact that their daughter had disappeared took a big toll on their relationship. But Bruce did decide to start a private investigations for the missing nonprofit organization. And they're dedicated to providing private investigators to people who are unable to afford them, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. There is a GoFundMe page out there for Brianna. If you want to go check it out, it'll be linked in our description. They're trying to raise money just to have the resources to be able to continue to investigate her case. So I just want to finish this off with a description of her and a phone number for you guys. So she went missing from Montgomery, Vermont. She was 17 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was somewhere between 5'3 and 5'5". She weighed between 105 to 118 pounds, had brown hair and hazel eyes. She also was known for a faint scar that was from her left eyebrow to her forehead. She also has her left nostril pierced. It's also believed that she was either wearing a small ring or a stud in her nose at the time of her disappearance. The case is still classified as endangered missing. And if she's still alive, she would be 34 years old. If you have any sort of information regarding the case or her disappearance, you can contact the Vermont State Police at 802-524-5993 or the investigation's official tip line at 802-241-5355. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also join our Patreon family, where you can get early access to our episodes and exclusive content such as our new Monday minis and a bonus monthly episode for as little as a cup of coffee a month. Donations to our podcast are always greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. If interested, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you have case suggestions, feel free to reach out through any of our platforms or email at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.